0: You're listening to Young Honest Mother, the podcast. Here, we'll chat about all things marriage, motherhood, and modern home economics in all honesty. I'm your host, Marissa Young. All right. Well, thank you so much, Topsy, for taking the time to chat with me today. I'm so happy that you're here. Me too. Me too. I'm excited to be here. So before we dive into our conversation, would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Yes. My name is Topsy
1: Vandenbosch. I am a mental health therapist. I have been in the mental health field for eight years, so it's been a long time. I've worked in a variety of different settings, such as working with teenagers who are in the juvenile justice system. I have worked with adults, adult outpatient mental health emergency services. So That includes adults who are coming in maybe because of the first onset of experiencing like severe to persistent mental health symptoms, or maybe for instance, a mother who's going through postpartum and has had just like scary thoughts, I'm sure, disregarding the frustrations of having a newborn and maybe little support. So maybe they're experiencing, you know, wanting to smother their kid, but they know that they would never do that. And so their family members bring them in which they should just to have them assessed. And so that was one of the settings that I worked in. I worked in the prison. I've worked in just so many different settings, which eventually led me to owning my own mental health practice. And now I own my own mental health practice for the past uh, over two years now. And I specialize in working with female entrepreneurs and career-focused women who are struggling with depression and anxiety. So that is my jam. Mm. And then I opened up, Another business, probably about two years ago. Um, I'm a mindset coach for female entrepreneurs. So, this is for those entrepreneurs who I know are falling through the cracks, who don't necessarily need um, therapy because I know everyone says everyone should go to therapy, which I do agree, it's super important to experience it, but that doesn't mean that you need mm-hmm. it, if that makes sense. And so, there were these entrepreneurs that I know would never walk through my doors because they don't experience. Um, mild to severe anxiety or depression, but they do struggle with normal everyday life stuff, such as like, you know, fears and worries and things like that. And so I still wanted to be able to serve them, but just in a different capacity and using different skills that I have. And so, um, I am a mindset coach, like I said, and I've been doing it for about two years. And I help female entrepreneurs overcome the fears, the negative beliefs about themselves um, and just like self-sabotage, confidence issues that could be preventing them from making bank in their business. So, um, Mm. yeah. And so I really love the work that I do. And yeah, my journey has been long, but I'm just really excited to be able to serve the same population, but just in a different way, so that's a little yeah. bit about me. I don't know if you wanted to know anything else. I could go on for forever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. I am curious though, because I think right now we're in a space socially where therapy is becoming more more talked about, less stigmatized, which is amazing. but you brought up something in that intro saying that not necessarily everyone needs therapy, so can you talk more about? why someone would need therapy and why, why they might not.
1: Yes, absolutely. So this is one of my favorite topics to talk about because there is a lot of misinformation out there. So the reason why someone might need therapy is maybe they, um, so it has to be affecting different areas of their life, whatever their symptom is. So let's mm-hmm. say it's a person that's struggling with anxiety. Anxiety is, I'm just going to be clear, that is like a normal part of life. I, I would never tell somebody that you are never going to have anxiety about anything else ever again. Because that's just not true. Mm-hmm. It's just about the degree to which it affects um you know, functions of areas of your life that you need. You need to be able to function at, like, your highest capacity. So this could be just that person that's staying up all night, overthinking and thinking a lot. This could be the person that breaks out into cold sweats constantly. This could be the person that they... um You know, they can't sleep, they can't think, they can't eat, they can't go out and do activities that, uh, you know, you should be able to do, such as going to the grocery store, because maybe they have social anxiety, and they don't want to be around a lot of people and uh, be in crowds. Um, For some people, that really isolates them, and they, they just feel like they can't go anywhere, which is, I can't imagine how isolating that is. And so, but that just becomes their norm unless they have it addressed. Um, so their anxiety is affecting key components of their life that they, that they need to have. Um, they need for it to be functional so that they can be the best mother or the best spouse or just the best person or the best friend that they can be. And so their anxiety pretty much is lying to them and telling them that they can't do all of these things, but they can. They just need to know the skills and tools to know how to combat these thoughts. And so. Um, Mm. that's one of the ways, that's one of those um, ways that you know that you're going to need some more intensive help is if that mental health symptom is affecting every facet of your life. Um, So it's Mm. not just like a worry, right? Because when you're worried about something, I always love to use this example when you have a flight coming up and you know that there's bad weather or um, you're hoping that You know, you don't maybe have um, free, uh, what is that called? Um, When you can pass through, oh, pre-check. And so you're worried about how long the lines are going to be because you're always running late like me (laughs) when you go to the airport. And so you're worried about how long it's going to take to get through, um, you know, uh, having your stuff like examined. I can't think of what that word is, but security. But after that's over with, you feel better and you don't have that worry anymore that is worry. Anxiety is ongoing. It affects your, you know, your stomach. You could have stomach issues because you're struggling with anxiety. One thing I notice a lot, a lot of people struggle with anxiety is it is possible to develop stomach ulcers. So you can worry yourself to the point that it's affecting you, you know, medically. Um, so that is just one of my favorite examples of how, you know, whether something's worry or whether it's actual anxiety, and anxiety just, it just takes over. So when you don't necessarily clinically meet criteria for therapy, that could look like, um, you have worries, but it just never escalates. You know, you'll have a worry that, Oh, I hope this person calls me today. And then either they'll call or they won't and you'll move on with life. You know what I mean? Um, or it could be, Uh, you know, I really don't like going to Meijer. Those lines are ridiculous. Um, self-checkout is just my jam. Um, so you're maybe slightly worried about it, but then after you're done grocery shopping, you're good. Um, or even when you get there, it's fine, you know? Um, and so that's, that's just like one of the easiest examples that I can give about, how you know whether something is clinically needed like whether it's affecting you know relationships with your family relationships with yourself relationship with your friends relationships with you know just being out in the general public um, relationship with your health versus something that is over and done with just as quickly as when it started so mm, that's, that's one a of the really great examples example. yeah thank you thank you so that's one of the easiest ways that you can tell that you might need something a bit more intensive
0: Okay. And so you did mention um, in your practice, you see various populations, but the one that stood out to me the most was um, you working with women and in particular women who might be, you know, just struggling in the postpartum stage. So I'm curious, what are some of the ways that you tend to see anxiety manifest in women who are postpartum. What, yeah. what can that look like for people? Oh
1: man, um, I love my psalms. <laughs> I love <laughs> my psalms. Um, I would say probably just like that feeling of not enoughness. Like, did I, was mm. I patient enough with my baby? You know, was I, um, am I knowledgeable enough about what my baby needs? Am I um, not being nice enough? to my baby or to my husband, even, um, do I, it's just that general overarching feeling of not enough and just constantly feeling like you're falling behind and it's really not based in reality. So anxiety, is not based in reality? It's based on your, it's it's based on your um, thoughts, which are manifesting and affecting your feelings about things. And so, um, That's one of the things that I notice a lot in Thoms. The other thing is, you know, just feeling like there's this empty hole where their career or their job used to be. So, um, Because that's huge. And I think maybe initially, you know, it's the part of your identity. Um, Good, bad or indifferent. It is what it is. And a lot of us are. That's part of our story. Like, how did we become... You know, if you're a mother, how did you, what led you to become the mother that you are or led you to want to become a mother? And chances are it probably has a little bit to do with what your desires were growing up. It has a lot to do with what you wanted to do with your life, like what you saw for yourself, what you saw for your family, what you and your husband wanted. And so I do think it's huge. And some people, I think they underestimate (laughs) um, just how much it matters to. I would say kind of get ahead of it and either A, go to therapy and talk about it or B, talk it over with your spouse and talk about different ways that you can kind of like combat that and have a plan for how you want to deal with, because you're going to feel, it could feel empty for a little bit. Like, okay, I love being a mother. Right. I love what I do. I know I contribute to my household. However, I just don't feel for some reason, like I, like, where do I fit in society? You know, right?
0: Because um, how do I recreate my identity? Yes,
1: and a lot of us we see how we fit as what monetary, <laughs> what monetary gain <laughs> can I provide to yes. either my household or just for myself and my own self esteem, and so it makes you redefine your self worth and um, your self confidence and what that looks like. You know, and it is a long journey to. You know, it doesn't have to be, but from what I've seen, it is a journey, I guess I should say, to feeling like, you know what? Like what I do matters, what I did back then matters, and what I do right now matters. And mm-hmm. I get to. Mm-hmm. you know, our family, we get to dictate what that looks like for us. And so maybe in the future, if it means that I, you know, do some volunteer work, or maybe I work, you know, per diem, um, like, just like get paid for the shifts I can pick up, you know what I mean? Like, that is completely up to you and your family. And I think it just takes continuing to build your own, your own self-esteem and what, and what that looks like for you, because it's not going to be what it was before. And that's also okay. So mm-hmm. I would say those are some of the big things that I see that, you know, some of the, some of the Psalms, like they thought about it, but they mm-hmm. didn't realize how difficult it would be.
0: Right. And for the listeners who may not be familiar with the abbreviation, Psalm <laughs> is the abbreviation for stay at home mom. Um, <laughs> super popular on social media. People like to use yeah because um, it's just, Way shorter to type out. Um, so, yeah, I think those are all things that sometimes women who are preparing to be mothers kind of overlook because there's so much focus on the birth and the delivery and your health while you're pregnant and, you know, getting the room ready and all of these things, which are important. Um, but if you were working before, what are some practical tips that you? advise women to, to keep in mind? You mentioned a couple like going to therapy and talking to their partner, but what are some other mm-hmm. ways that women can prepare for this, this huge transition if they are thinking about leaving their career to stay at home?
1: Yeah, I would definitely, definitely start thinking about other areas and things that you're passionate about. Um so okay. cuz I think a lot of us we don't have hobbies the way we think we do. Like if you ask and I mm-hmm. guess maybe I'm giving millennials cuz I'm a millennial I think I'm giving us a hard time so I'm not going to generalize but I will say these okay. days it, I'll just say in my therapy practice when I ask younger people, "Oh, what are your hobbies?" sometimes it's like I love to be on boats or I love to golf. Like sometimes I actually do receive like actual hobbies as responses, but a lot of the time it's okay. like Netflix. And like yeah, <laughs> it's awesome that you like watching movies and you like watching TV shows, but is that really a hobby? I don't know. Um, so what mm. else do you do? Because when I think about Netflix, yes, it's good. And of course, in doses, it's good to watch TV. Of course, it's up, it's, you know, it's definitely up to you and what your preferences are, but it doesn't get you out. It doesn't get you moving. doesn't get you involved um, in the community. Right. It's pretty much a very isolating activity. So, um, what else, can, you know, what else can you do outside of just like the normal responses? Oh, I like to watch Netflix. Oh, I like to watch movies. Oh, I like to watch TV shows. So I think the creativity, sometimes we kind of, um, we don't get ahead of that all the time the way that we should. So one of those things that I recommend could be figuring out what you're passionate about and, or figuring out fun things that you would love to do outside of the home that either A- would be meaningful for just you or be meaningful to you and your spouse. And that could take on many forms. So what if you Mm -hmm. are, you know, very passionate about animals, right? I have a friend whose mom sat on a board for like the, you know, the, um, I can't think of what those animals, Humane Society. She sat on the board for that. She was very involved in her community. And she, guess what? She was very well known. She's actually pretty prestigious. And so to me, that was her, Having her own identity despite deciding to be a stay at home mom. And she also joined like a tennis club. Like, I just thought she was amazing, you know, because she just, I always, I, I, this is, I always forgot that she didn't have the society, what society would look like as a job. Um, Mm -hmm. I forgot that because she was so involved in so many other ways. And of course, her being at home with her kids is just as important, but she really created her own world. And I think that was amazing. And she was still able to connect. So I think really planning out and writing out, journaling out, what do I like to do? What do I enjoy? What am I willing to try? Um, And is this going to be something that I try to do with my spouse? Or is this just purely a passion project for me? Um, What does that Mm -hmm. look like? So I think really, really digging deep and writing that down and start connecting, start looking online, um, start really doing your best to get ahead of this because what we don't want is for it to creep up on you and for you to be like, oh my gosh, I have no idea where to start. You get flustered, you get frustrated and, um, you know, it just doesn't have to, it doesn't, that doesn't have to happen. So I think really, um, doing that work of, Um, staying ahead of it as much as you can, um, figuring that out. I guess something else that they can do that's tangible – as they prepare would be to make sure you have a support network. And it sounds really dumb, but it's not. (laughs) So if you have friends that have like different things going on, such as some people don't have kids, some people want to start having kids. I would suggest finding a group of people that are in your either similar situation or already, you know, have just had kids connect with people in your community. So it can be friends or it can be people that you've never met before. Um, But just start planning for that because you're going to need it and you're going to need to be able to talk about things that maybe your friends who don't have kids, they don't mind hearing it, but it isn't the same as talking to somebody who's in it right now. You might find that even more helpful and less isolating and less lonely. So I think Mm. getting ahead on that and really getting yourself out of your comfort zone, um, stop with the excuses (laughs) and just put yourself out there um, put yourself out there because it's so worth it. It's so worth it to be in a community of other mothers or soon to be mothers who, you know, they're nervous too. And they're looking for the right. exact same thing that you're looking for. So you putting yourself out there, you don't know what that could do for somebody else that could really inspire someone else to say, you know what, like, I want to do the same thing. Like, I don't want, to, I don't need to be in this alone. I can reach out and right. ask for help. So those are like some of the most practical tips just starting off that I think Um, that could really help get ahead of that feeling of loneliness or, you know, the depression that could set in. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that those things are really critical to, um, to start with.
0: Those are really great tips. And I'm now, I'm curious too, because I've experienced both sides of the coin. So I started out, I had six weeks of maternity Mm -hmm. leave, and then I went back to work And then after nine months, I started staying at home. And so since we're talking about stay-at-home moms or Mm psalms right now, something that I started to encounter after taking on the identity of of a stay-at-home mom is is starting to feel like as a stay-at-home mom, all that I should be focused on is taking care of my child Mm. and that it would be selfish for me to to have another outlet or have another hobby or, Mm. you know, other people that I associate with. So what, what advice would you give to someone who is feeling like that? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This one is like one of my favorite topics. Um, because you know, self-care is not selfish. Um, and so I think that there's a lot of people that believe that. And I would say mm-hmm. a lot of people that are in the older generation that really kind of keep perpetuating that myth <laughs> is that, mm-hmm. you know, self-care is selfish and um, it's just a load of crap. So what I would say to that is looking at it <clears throat> practically and from the lens of your kid or your baby. So looking at it as what can I do to be an even better mother for him or her? So. Does that look like me swimming for an hour a day in the summer? Is that going to help me be a better mom? And I'm guessing the answer is going to be heck yeah. Because if you are able to carve that time out for yourself, you're being such a good example to your kid. Like, how amazing of an example is that to show your child that, hey, you can have it all. You can do all of these things and still, you know, do things for yourself that make you feel good. That's good for your health. That's good for your self-esteem. It's good for your self-worth. So I think looking at it through the lens of this, how does this make me a better mom? And if you can answer that, you're golden. Mm. And so I think that sometimes, that we, and I think that sometimes you overcomplicate it, you know, we make it this thing, but it's like, no, like, so if making you, if, if this, if you having 30 minutes of quiet time of reading while maybe your spouse or your partner or who our babysitter watches your kid, if that is what helps you be more patient with your kid, then why wouldn't you do it? <laughs> mm. You know? That's a good question. Yeah. Like, why Why would that not be an option? <laughs> um, right. So I think really simplifying it and making it this, like, conversation with yourself of, of why wouldn't I do this? Like, why is that mm-hmm. such a bad idea? Um, how is this going to hurt right. my child? And I think... <laughs> you're going to find the answer is it's not going to hurt your child at all. In fact, your child probably won't even notice, A, that you're around, or B, if they do notice, they're going to be so happy to see you when you're done with your self-care time. (laughs) And it's going to make it that much more special for you, you know? Um, I agree. You know, it just renews that sense of, you know, um, just that sense of, I think, bonding you know, with the child, I don't have any children, but I feel like I've had many children (laughs) and Mm -hmm. just, and through working with, you know, all the Psalms that I've worked with and hearing all of their stories. And it's just so amazing to hear what being able to take a step back and take some time for yourself, what that does for their relationship with their kid. And so I think that we just make things so much more complicated than what it needs to be. When really the question is, Mm. you know, how is this, benefiting my kid and my relationship with my kid. And if you can answer that, you're good. And I think the other question is, is this hurting them? Is this gonna cause them pain? And is that rational? Because you know, I think sometimes Mm. we like to also um make the question fit what we're feeling, make the answer to the question fit what we're feeling. So Mm. you know that's a good we're very manipulative as humans sometimes, right? And so there are going to be people who are going to find any reason that that answer to that question is going to be something negative. And what I have to say to that is: is this rational? Because feelings are not facts. So just because you feel like it's going to, you know, affect your kid for the rest of its like kid life or whatever, that doesn't make that the truth. And like, where is that mm-hmm. based in science? Where is that based? Like, you know, have you asked other people what their thoughts are on that? Um, So I think that there are a lot of us who we make a lot of decisions off of feelings when we really need to be looking at the facts and look at the evidence for why we feel what we feel. And that's where the decisions need to be made out of.
0: Ooh, that is so profound. Oh, I'm so
1: glad. (laughs) (laughs) I talk about feelings aren't facts all the time with my clients.
0: That is a big one. And I think in what you're doing or what you just suggested is like doing a little bit more digging, you know, and not just going off of the surface feeling that may arise when you start to think about, you know, stepping out and doing something for yourself and volunteering or being more active in your community and just finding out what it is that you truly want to do without taking into account, you know, what other people might think or or how it initially feels to you in the moment because it is going to be something new. And I think for most people stepping into doing something new tends to be a little nerve wracking and anxiety producing. And so if we can kind of get through that and assess the situation for the facts that you, like you just said, we could make more sound decisions. So yes, yes,
1: yes, yes. You got it. Yep. And I feel (laughs) like, um, and it's, it's a practice. You know, I think it's a practice. I mean, we all are going to fall short, but I think it's just about being willing to look at, hmm, is the decision I'm making, am I making this out of fear? Am I making this, you know, out of desperation? How am I, how am I making this decision? Where is this coming from? Mm -hmm. So when you can identify the source of it, then you're good. You're good. Um, Because it's all about that introspection and just going a step further. Than maybe typically yes. what you would before, and so I think that the combination of doing a lot of these things that I just talked about is really going to help you get ahead of um, all of the struggles, surprises, things that are going to come up once your beautiful baby is out into the world. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I love
0: that. Well, thank you for those no tips. Problem. And now on the flip side, so for women who are going back to work, yes, and you know, that brings a whole different set of struggles and decisions that have to be made. So what are some tips for for working mamas and and how they can manage their anxiety and and all of their feelings surrounding going back into the workplace um, and all that comes with that?
1: Yeah. I think the biggest thing is to have this mantra. I think that it's going to sound really basic, but I am not a bad mom. Um, I think Mm. that, There's a lot of black and white. I call it like all or nothing thinking that goes into Mm -hmm. making that transition of either I'm a good mom or I'm being a bad mom. And um, you're not a bad mom at all. In fact, you're being the best mom possible by making sure that you're providing for your kid and making sure that they have a stable future and all of that. And so I think the biggest thing is to really do your best to not fall into the trap of all or nothing thinking because there is always gray. There's always great. That is life. You are not a bad mom, you know? And I think that's something that a lot of mamas who are transitioning to, you know, going back to work, that is gonna, what did they call it? Mom guilt. That's what comes up. Yes. (laughs) But I think it's normal for it to come up, but I think it's important to not allow that to dictate or guide your decisions. Because when you make decisions Mm -hmm. out of guilt, you're not making it from a place of abundance And happiness and confidence. You're making decisions out of a place of shame. And what we want to do is not encourage that and not continue to enforce that. Because people talk about mom guilt, and they do talk about mom shaming, but they don't also talk about how we also contribute to that narrative with how we treat ourselves first. Mm. Ooh, Mm -hmm. we love to, we love to focus on other people, right. In this society, we love to focus on, yeah, like don't mom shame, (laughs) you know, and, and yeah, I agree. Nobody should be doing that. But however, the reason why it's happening, it starts with us and how we are talking to ourselves because how you speak to yourself Mm -hmm. is how you're going to speak to speak and or think about other people. You're only going to judge other people the way that you judge yourself. That's powerful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very powerful. And and so that's just where it comes from. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that is a really good place to start. Um, And just, like you said, being very introspective and and listening to the the way that we talk to ourselves. You know, our self-talk can really leak out into the world and, and start to color how we see other people. Yes. Um, and really it stems from how we see ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so I think exactly what you said, just taking the time to to see, okay, are these thoughts, are these right. um conversations that I'm having with myself, are they really serving yes. me? And if not, how how do you advise people to to push through? Mm-hmm. Yeah those, that negative self-talk. Yeah.
1: I think first identifying, um, okay, what, you know, what's going on right now. So I really, really push for my clients to be as introspective as they can, because that's where true change occurs. And so looking at, okay, what's my thought right now? What's the feeling that I'm having? Cause a lot of us don't really check into the feelings and then what is Mm. the evidence for what it is that I'm feeling? So it could be, oh, the evidence for what I'm feeling is that um, I feel like I'm not at home enough. And so my kid isn't getting as much attention for me as what they are used to getting, right? And then what's the evidence against what it is that I'm feeling? And so just really going through this like sequence of of thoughts that help you come to a Mm -hmm. decision. So what's the evidence against what it is I'm feeling? The evidence against the feeling that you're a bad mom and you're neglecting your kid is that A, you transitioned, you transitioned into, you know, another role that still benefits your house and still benefits your child. You... Have instilled some more supports to kind of support your kid through this transition, right? My guess is that you probably have some type of daycare situation set up, um, maybe with mm-hmm. family or maybe with a company. So I think looking for the evidence against what it is that you're feeling is going to be huge. Um, and then looking at, okay, what is, so what's the, so now that I know that that's not, that wasn't the case, what's the feeling that's coming up for me right now? Okay, I feel relieved. Right. Because oftentimes we don't go through that thought sequence. And so we just kind of latch on to whatever, you know, feeling that we have. And we assume that to be true. But it always goes back to feelings aren't facts. And so really going deeper into, okay, what's what's going on right now? How am I feeling? What's the evidence for the thought that I'm having? What's the evidence against the thought that I'm having? And my my guess is that's going to be your rational list of everything Mm -hmm. that makes it not true. Um, And then looking at, okay, how do I feel now that I wrote all of that out, right? Now that I've acknowledged that I do have supports in place, that I am not making the wrong decision, that I do have a supportive network of people who who think what I'm doing is the right thing. And looking at how your kid's gonna benefit from what you're doing, after looking at all of that, how do you feel? So- that would be Mm. one of the other ways that one of the ways that you can push through that feeling for sure. Cause a lot of us don't do that. (laughs) We just kind of keep it moving.
0: Right. And we get stuck in that feeling and we never actually investigate whether or not, you know, it's valid. So that's a really good exercise to, to practice. Yes. And to learn how to bring into the situation when you, when you start to feel like, you're
1: spiraling yeah or or spiraling spiraling is a really good (laughs) word I like to use the word spinning because I I'm super dramatic and I go and I start spinning and I know when I am like oh lord like (laughs) my brain's starting to go all over the place I'm starting to spin (laughs) how do I ground myself (laughs) so yeah, that's yep. one of my favorite mm. activities to do because it really and really it just makes you feel better. It makes you feel like you're not nuts, <laughs> you know, like yes. you're you're not making like a terrible decision. And it really just it really just helps you relax. You know, that's really what that's for. It's mm-hmm. like anti um, it brings in like that anti-anxiety, that natural anti-anxiety relief of, oh, I'm really overthinking this. Like this is mm-hmm. not true at all. You know, me going back to work is it gonna like stump my kid's developmental process, you know right, so I think right. that's imp- and just really trusting trusting that you and your spouse or maybe it's if it's just you, you made the right decision and trusting the mm-hmm. decisions that you make um because I think that's where a lot of that doubt comes from is not trusting that you made the right decision
0: mhm, yeah, I can agree with that, and so. I know you mentioned in the intro that you're also a mindset coach as well, Yeah, which I think is really fascinating um, because mindset, really everything stems back to that. Yes. And so one thing that I'm curious about to start with as we talk more about mindset is especially for, for women who feel that they're very ambitious in their career um, and whether or not they decide to go back to work, they... They might feel like they want to have certain ambitions for their motherhood, and they and they have all of these expectations for how they think it's going to look um, before they actually find themselves in the position of being a mother um, to that certain child. So, right. what what's a more healthy mindset that women can take into motherhood that that can really help them to to not feel so stifled by expectations um, either from themselves and and from our society.
1: Yeah, so you mean like expectations as it relates to a, how to be ambitious and still be a great mom. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah, I think I think one of the biggest things is to um assert to be assertive with other people regarding like let's say you divulge to I don't know, like somebody that you trust or moderately like, (laughs) you divulge to them something that you're planning, like an ambition that you have and you receive just some negative feedback. I would be assertive. And I think this is going to be uncomfortable for some people and not everybody's direct. And I understand that, but I do think it's important to be assertive in life. It's a good life skill to be assertive with them Mm -hmm. about what it is that you feel and what you decide and what is okay with you and what's not. So that could look like, you stating, oh, while I'm a stay-at-home mom, I want to sell, I don't know, like network marketing like stuff. Um, So Mm -hmm. that could be Herbalife, that could be Arbonne, like whatever. And somebody says something negative about that. It is important to not let ish like that slide because Mm -hmm. it's it's a slippery slope, right? Because yeah, Every battle isn't worth fighting. You don't need to participate in every conversation you're invited to. That's something else that I tell my clients. However, if you know you're somebody that struggles with speaking up, that's going to be really good practice, actually, to just make a simple statement and say, hey, that wasn't very nice. Or hey, that was rude. (laughs) Or hey, that's something that I was really looking forward to. And so your response wasn't super helpful. So assertiveness is huge. And I'm just going to say that because I noticed that that's how it starts. It starts with, Mm. I hate to say it, but like your mom or like your mother-in-law or somebody close to you feeling that comfortable to say their opinion. And you let it slide because it's family and you don't want to be rude and you want to start issues. But then how you do one thing is how you do everything. So, yeah. And so after that, What happens when your best friend says, oh, I think that's so sleazy. Or why would you want to do that? Or I don't like that company. This is the experience that I had with them. And like, there's this line that I think is important to make sure that your family and friends know how to talk to you, how to approach you, and how to just like be kind and be helpful. So um, because every opinion that they have, it doesn't need to be said. like. There's been plenty of times that somebody told me something they wanted to do. And in my head, I was like, well, I wouldn't do that, but guess what? That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter Mm -hmm. because it's not me. So how can I support them? Right. So being assertive with people in your life and just not letting ish slide the way that you probably would. Um, I think the other thing hmm, that's going to be important. There's a bunch of good ones I think I have, but, I think the other thing is to, um, really work on your self-confidence because if you have, if, cause confidence is a muscle that you need to build and you do that, you can do that every day doing little things, even if it's little things for yourself. Like I hear a lot of moms mm-hmm. say, Oh, I don't buy anything for myself anymore. Everything I buy is for my kid. Yeah. That's cute. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. That's super cute. I don't have a kid. I have a dog. So <laughs> I understand like wanting to spoil them. So totally get it. However, long term, if that continues, that's not good because it leads to this sense of I'm not as important as my child or I'm not as important mm. as other living, breathing human or animal <laughs> that I love. And so it creates this like hierarchy where you start to feel bad for doing things for yourself, which you should never feel bad because the whole point, because the thing is, is that you're never going to be selfish. The very fact that you're even considering the fact that, oh my God, I don't want to be selfish. I don't want it. I don't want this process to be just about me. I want for my insert child or dog to have what they need. They're they're never going to go without because people who are selfish, they don't have those thoughts. They don't have insight Mm -hmm. into their behaviors. So you are fine. You're doing better than a lot of people. People who are selfish oftentimes don't think that they're selfish. Does that make sense? So they're not being truly insightful about that. So the very fact that you're worried about it lets me know that 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 it's not going to be a thing for you because you won't let it happen. (laughs) And you're super insightful. So anyway, that's another thing is to continue doing things for yourself, building that self-confidence. And that looks like, Doing those little things for yourself each day—that maybe to someone else, buying that Starbucks isn't a big deal—but maybe for you, that's something that you need to help feel like you're still a person, you know. So right, (laughs) you're still a person, and you deserve to take care of yourself. So um, those are two things so far that you can do to kind of continue. So building that self confidence and being assertive with people that you care about. Um, I love it. Those are my two biggest things.
0: Mm, Those are both. Huge. Yeah, first of all. So um, huge, right? <laughs> I yeah, I think that and you alluded to this when you were talking about assertiveness, but for many people that can feel uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. And so people might shy away from doing that. And in shying away from doing that, you're not building your self-confidence. No. So it's kind of like this self-defeating cycle it is. one might find themselves in. And it could be difficult to break. But I, I like how you presented that you can build your self-confidence and and start to assert yourself in small ways. Yes. They don't necessarily have to be yes. these huge like declarations no. that you're making to your friends or family. Not at all. It can just be speaking up for yourself and, and sharing how you truly feel about a situation. Yes. And that's how it
1: can start. Yes. Because it helps you feel like, okay, because this is what it does. It tells your brain that it is safe to do these things. It is safe because nothing mm. bad happens. Right. Right. So when something bad happens, of course things are gonna happen. But when something bad happens, that often means that maybe for a little bit, you might be a little bit, you know, gun shy <laughs> and you'll be less right. likely to say something at first. But the more you have positive experiences regarding that, the less likely it is that if something bad does happen or there is a negative response, you can handle it. Because guess what? You've had so many situations that went well that this is not the norm. You know, this is not right. something that's, that's going to happen for you each time because those situations is already proved that that's not a normal thing to have happen to you. So mm-hmm. um, that's a really good way to build your self-confidence. It's just with those little things each day that to someone else, they wouldn't even know. But for you, you know, it's a big deal.
0: hmm. Mm. Yay. I love that. Thank you for sharing no that. Problem. No problem. No problem. So, okay, right now my friends and I, and I'm gonna switch gears over to your your mindset business oh, yeah. because I know that you're you're all about coaching women um and helping them to make banks. So <laughs> right now my friends and I we're having this discussion. So it's so timely that I'm speaking to you about this, yes. but we're having this discussion about women and wealth. Oh and what that means for each of us. Yeah. So can you share some of the, the most common limiting beliefs that you encounter? as women start to consider attaining wealth and and making bank in their Uh, businesses.
1: Girl, I could go Uh (laughs) on forever. I'm going to try and limit it to quite to just a few. Um, the big, some of the biggest limiting beliefs is, um, Oh my God. Oh, this is a good one. I heard this the other day. Why do I need that much money? Um, why is that Mm. much money necessary? So, or why does that person it starts with those like comments about other people that literally have nothing to do with you so like Mm -hmm. it starts with those okay like let's say i don't want to name drop but i'm going to because that's just me um so let's say okay so i've had people say to me regarding the kardashians you know or Mm -hmm. just like a big like celebrity insert whatever celebrity why do they need to buy that oh is she really you know kylie is not a self-made billionaire like She came from money. Like the way that Mm -hmm. we speak about money, it is going to severely impact the way that we ourselves approach money in our own lives. So Mm. it just starts with those little statements that we make about other people's wealth. Right. That is a deep thing because we come from a society that it does glorify people more so who do have money rather than the ones who don't. And so it does come from that. I guess like I don't know the perceived um lack of focus on the I guess like the ones who are middle class to whatever like lower middle class and or in poverty to focusing on the mm-hmm. people who have it all supposedly so I think it does come from that jealousy and disdain mm-hmm. and judgment so the way that we judge and look at other people's wealth That's going to largely impact the way that we see wealth for ourselves. So that's one thing that I notice. It really impacts people. So that's a limiting belief, believing that other people don't need to have as much money as they do or that they don't need to spend it the way that they do. Right. That is huge. And it's such a triggering topic. I mean, you can even like expand that to talking about people who play in sports and comparing that to a quote unquote honest I don't know, like an honest degree, like being a doctor or being a lawyer or being a professor. Like, why can't they make as much as a person that's in the NBA? Right. Mm. And so it even starts with those conversations and the inability to look at it objectively instead we're, right. we look at it emotionally. Like, what does that mean for me? That means that I, I feel like the meaning that we take from it, I feel like I can't make that amount of money. Therefore, they don't deserve to make it, you know what I'm saying? And so there's that that jealousy that people don't like to admit, but everyone experiences it at some level. It's just about the degree to which we experience it. Um, So the way that we talk about other people's wealth and the way that that's going to impact the way that we see the limitations and or the possibility of our own. So that's going to be huge. The other limiting belief I notice is oh, this is my favorite. Oh, the, the perceived like humbleness. Oh, I don't need a lot. Mm-hmm. All I need is enough to live on and for me and my kids and me and my kids to be comfortable or me and my kids and my spouse to be comfortable. And that's it. I don't need anything lavish. I don't need that much. And really, that's not the case. <laughs> really, it's you don't want for people to think that you're a greedy person. So it's almost that, that story of I'm greedy if I want to make more than what I make right now, that whole, right. I need to be satisfied with what I make right now. Right. And so it changes the way that we talk about money. Um. So that's something else. It's just that limiting belief of, I, I don't deserve to make more money because I am even lucky to make what I have right now. So that's something else that i notice a lot of women particularly struggle with that i talk to and in my therapy right. practice i've called people out on it in a nice way of course and of course i got to know them a little bit so they're super receptive to it and we laugh about it <laughs> but money mindset's huge man it's such a big thing the other thing is um you know i grew up in a family where we saw money as the root of all evil you know mm. and so you take that as you become an adult and you look for the evidence of that in everything. So, you know, you might, your mind is going to latch on to different examples that you've seen of money being the root of all evil and money changing somebody. And you're going to automatically say, yep, that's exactly what I learned as I was growing up and money isn't good. So, and money has no meaning. It's just an exchange of energy. You know, it just comes right back to you. But that's Mm. that's like a deeper, it's a deeper topic.
0: (laughs) Uh, So why do you think that women in particular struggle more when it comes
1: to having a positive money mindset? Oh man. Expectations of society are the expectations that families place on us. Um Mm. I think just like the messages that we receive that we're not worth equal pay, I think I think it's a really deep, multifaceted issue. But I think that those are the three main reasons the expectation okay. society has on us that if we do decide to become parents, these are the things that we're going to have to juggle. So we don't really see where becoming a millionaire is even possible for us, I guess. And then I think family, of course, um, family and then the pressure of what mm. our family wants us to do or be. And then um yeah, I think that those are the three, I think those are the three reasons why it could be really difficult to um, really have a healthy money mindset is because of all of those factors that come into play. And so right, you al- it's like almost this rewiring of h- the possibilities that are available for us and our ability mm-hmm. to see it, that that is something that I can have. Um, and if anybody's interested um, in following uh, an amazing business coach, her name is Slay Coach, um, S-L-A-Y, Slay Coach. Okay. And she is a mother and she has three kids. And she's, I think her company, I think her company Slay Coach is like, going it's like on track to make like a million dollars this year. And she's only been in business a couple of years. Wow. She's amazing. Wow. She's amazing. And so she curses a lot for those who don't cuss. So, but other than that, she's, I mean, I don't care personally, but some people do. Um, But her message is awesome. It's super empowering. And if you are looking for just other examples of someone being a mom and being just, you know, just a, just an amazing business owner, she's one. So I think us being able to find those examples whether we know them personally, you know what I'm saying? Because if we don't see what's possible for us, then it's really hard to imagine it. And someone that we can
0: relate to, I think as well is important. Yes. Yes, yes, Hmm. yes.
1: So I think that's huge. It's just like who we're surrounding ourselves by, whether it's virtually or in real life.
0: Ooh. Okay. So I'm going to shout you out really quick. So thank you for sharing um, slay coach, yes, slay coach. Yep. So I'm going to, I'm going to check her yes, out. Check I, her. I think you'll
1: like
0: it. I really love how you present yourself on social oh, media. Thanks. So if you're not already following Topsy, where can people find you?
1: Yes. You can find me at Topsy Vandenbosch, um, T-O-P-S-I-E-B-A-N-D-E-N-B-O-S-C-H. You can find me, um, at that handle on Instagram, uh, my website, topsyvandenbosch.com, sign up for my freebie, um, top 26 reasons why you need a mindset coach. So if you're wondering what is all of that even about, you'll be able to download the freebie and then um, being able to take a quiz and you'll be able to see where your own mindset is at and whether it needs some work. And I also give tips on what to do to kind of cultivate having a healthy mindset. And then on Facebook, I'm at top Vandenbosch, T-O-P-S. Um and you can find me on all three of those social channels, so I'm so excited to have been on this podcast.
0: Yes. Uh, thank you so much for making the time no to, to be here, and for the listeners, definitely go check out Topsy's work, because she has such a great sense of humor, and <laughs> If you're looking for some mini trainings that are real honest and just in your face, like, okay, here's what you need to be doing. Check out her Instagram stories. They are so entertaining but so informative. Um, and she'll hop on occasionally with like different limiting beliefs, actually. I, I see you present a lot of yep. different like mindset and like business limiting beliefs, and and you are so good at making it easy to understand how we might be feeling. Um, or, like, finding ourselves in a certain situation. Mm-hmm. But then you always come back with these practical <laughs> tips that people can put into their lives immediately oh, to start I'm so to overcome glad. that. So I'm so glad. I have really appreciated following you. Oh, um, and thank you so much for sharing your
1: wisdom. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to come back yay. on maybe one day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's it for this episode of Young Honest Mother, the podcast which means it's time for you to join the conversation. Share your thoughts on social media and tag me at Young Honest Mother. And then pass this episode along to friends and family who need to know that they're not alone on this journey either. Until next time, I'm your host, Marissa Young.